In the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. I was recently at a party and a friend's uncle, about a generation and a half older than I am, asked me what I do for a living. I'm a priest, I said, as I usually say when someone asks me that question. Wonderful, he said. And how long has that been going on? <laughs> me being a priest? Like five years, I said. He said, no, women being priests. That's new, right? Well, actually, 1974, I said, in the Episcopal Church is when women were for, first ordained. And so I did the math quickly and realized that's nearly 50 years. Wow, we both marveled at that. 1974, next year, will be 50 years ago. 50 years of women being ordained priests in the Episcopal Church. For me, that is more than my whole lifetime, and for many of you here, too. I realized how easy it is for me to take this for granted. My vocation would not have been possible just a generation and a half ago. And it still feels new to a lot of people, like my friend's uncle. Even in Protestant denominations who ordain women, women still only represent about 20% of clergy leadership. On this Mother's Day, when we celebrate all kinds of mothers, as the Episcopal Church gears up to celebrate 50 years of women priests, I've been thinking about the Philadelphia 11. These are the first 11 women ordained in what was known as a valid but irregular ordination in July 1974 at the Church of the Advocate in North Philadelphia. A little bit of Episcopal history about how we got to that point. It had been a good handful of years that people had been working to allow women's ordination in the church before that fateful day in 1974. Because of the way ordination works in the Episcopal Church and the orders of clergy, it began with allowing women to be ordained as deacons, the necessary first call of any priest. By 1974, there were 50 women, a little more than 50 women, who were considered transitional deacons, or women who were waiting for the church to approve the priestly ordination of women. But the general convention, which meets every three years, had not approved it at their last meeting. And it was clear it was going to take more than waiting patiently for a change to occur in the church. One of these women who was an ordained deacon and ready to be a priest, Suzanne Hyatt, put it this way in her memoir. She said, my vocation was not to continue to ask for permission to be a priest. My vocation was to be a priest. 
And so three retired bishops agreed to perform this irregular ordination. Irregular because it had not yet been approved by the whole church through general convention, but valid because it followed every requirement for a valid ordination. And the church where this ordination happened was chosen, the church where Suzanne Hyatt was deacon and the Reverend Paul Washington was rector, a black priest and leader of the civil rights movement, the Church of the Advocate. Of the 50 or so women who were eligible, only 11 chose to do it, to get ordained in this risky way. And they did it at the Church of the Advocate. For my whole life, the name of this church has been synonymous with activism, the place where this momentous thing happened, where a brave 11 women and three bishops changed the future of the church. But I never really considered it as its own place, its own church with its own congregation. And I never really considered what it meant, the Church of the Advocate. Who or what is the Advocate? And how did this church get its name? Today's reading from the Gospel is about just this question. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another Advocate capital A in our translation, to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. You can see already that this advocate Jesus talks about is something very powerful because Jesus says the world cannot receive it. It's a phrase you could imagine people throwing around when the church was debating the ordination of women. The world cannot receive women priests. The world won't understand this. But on the night before he died, Jesus told the disciples that God would not leave us alone. God would send us an advocate who is the spirit of truth for us, for the people of God, for the people who love God and follow God's laws. Jesus says this spirit abides with you and is in you, the breath in your nostrils, the fire on your heads, the wind at your back. The word that we hear translated today as advocate is paraclete in the original Greek. Through the centuries, it has been translated in various ways, comforter, counselor, intercessor, and it literally means the person called alongside. So the church of the advocate was the place where the Holy Spirit descended on those 11 women to make them priests with a spirit of truth. 
The Church of the Advocate is an anchor in North Philadelphia, a huge building where the neighborhood is made up of mostly black people in working class. No other church in America has been built in such a grand scale specifically for the working class. And when it was built at the turn of the 20th century, the congregation used a model that involved the workers in the design process of the church, rare for a church of this scale. And it did not make the design of the building any less grand. The building is a prime example of Gothic revival architecture, sculptures, stained glass windows by Clayton and Bell, flying buttresses and an orientation to the true East. In other words, it is a grand building, a lot like the one you are in now, but this one specifically built to be different than its peer Episcopal churches. The Church of the Advocates founders specified that the church should be free for all time, abolishing the practice of pew rent, the common practice at the time, which meant wealthy families were able to buy pews and the remnants of which we can still see on our Grace Church pew doors today. The Church of the Advocate is a place that chose its name carefully. Long before the Civil Rights Movement, long before the ordination of women, the Church knew what it was and what it hoped to be. A Church to show the world what Jesus means when he uses the word paraclete or advocate to tell us what the Holy Spirit is like. Methodist pastor and professor at Drew in New Jersey, Leonard Sweet, wrote a book several years ago called 11 Indispensable Relationships You Can't Be Without. And in this book, he uses scriptural characters to illustrate the things we all need as humans in life. And he uses the movie Ocean's Eleven the madcap heist movie where a team of various experts assemble to show us that not any one of us is complete without the other. He calls the paraclete the invisible 12th, Ocean's 12, the invisible 12th indispensable relationship. Sweet writes, we translate paraclete as comforter but the Holy Spirit as the comforter does not mean a cuddly blanket or a hot water bottle. Rather, the Holy Spirit as advocate is a bracing friend who helps us bear every burden, lift every load. When we think of the word advocate today, it has some interesting connotations, maybe legal connotations, like a child advocate, someone in family court who represents the position of someone who cannot fully speak for themselves, or political connotations like advocacy work, that is work that is somehow aligned with social justice or what we might think of as liberal or progressive movements. We use the word in these contexts because it invokes this image of walking alongside, being a person who walks alongside another. 
But this legal or social or political image is not the whole picture for Jesus. When Jesus talks about the advocate, he means that God is alongside us in all that we do. Earlier this morning at the 9 a.m. service here at Grace, we baptized Agnes Elizabeth Martin, a 10-month-old with two older sisters who were also baptized here at Grace when they were babies. At baptism, the Spirit descended again into this room and upon Agnes's head as she was sealed with the holy oil and marked as Christ's own forever. In Peter's letter we read today, he explains about baptism. Why do we do this slightly odd thing, gather around a font and sprinkle a forehead with water, seal it with holy oil? The roots of it are in the purifying rituals of baths. Something we all do regularly is use water to clean our bodies. But Peter reminds us, Baptism is not just that. Baptism is that and more than that. This water we use isn't just for cleaning, but also to remind us of the power of water, the danger that lies out in the world, the fact that water can creep into corners and destroy. Just look at the back south corner of our church building. Water creeps and destroys. Water can rise high and swallow us up. And baptism does not make us immune to this. It doesn't shield us from the world, and it doesn't protect us from every evil. But it does assure us that we will not be alone when the waters do come. It assures us that we will always have an advocate, God as the spirit of truth walking alongside us. When God is with us as an advocate, this spirit will surround us and live through us. And this means that we get to be advocates for others. You who are here today are welcomed into the powerful lineage of advocates just by being here, by being the community that welcomed Agnes this morning, that will welcome Andrew in a couple weeks on Pentecost, and where 12 of us will be confirmed the following week when the bishop visits. Being an advocate, being called to the side of another person, is a huge privilege. It gives us, each one of us, the opportunity to live like God in a complete relationship. Each one of you here gets an opportunity to choose your own way to be an advocate for God's people. You are in charge of how you are an advocate for God's people. But what you have to do is walk alongside another person and see them through the loving eyes of God. And then there will be another person in the world who is not alone.
There will be another step forward in the world that will make the world better, more loving, more open, and more free. Philadelphia 11 did this for me and for you. And we can only imagine what baby Agnes will do for the world too and everyone in between. The Church of the Advocate in Philadelphia does not have a monopoly on this theological vision. I think we at Grace Church are uniquely poised on this day to join with the people of the Advocate here in our Gothic Revival building to be people of grace, people who reach out with God's love and give it freely, even where it is undeserved. That's what grace is. And with the advocate, that's what you can be for the world too. Amen.